Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the show. Today, Maya, we're going to have a really interesting episode about autism spectrum condition. But before that, I'd like to remind our dear listeners that we have a contest going on for our patrons. All right, and what's the contest? Uh, the contest is a rope story contest, because you remember last year we did this photo contest, right? This rope photo contest, but we realized that photographs are maybe not the best medium for radio, turns out. Okay, and so what are we doing instead? Instead, we are inviting our patrons, and by that I mean both our existing patrons who have been supporting us for months and years, and also any person who would like to become a new patron, to send us a story of one of their favorite rope scenes. Very similar to what we do with our guests for the Christmas episode, in fact. Ah, sounds good. And then we will choose our favorite, and that person will win a copy of my book. And when do people need to send their stories in by? The cutoff line for sending the rope stories will be end of February 2024. So if you're listening from the future, I'm sorry, it might be too late already. What do people need to actually do? They need to register with us on Patreon, patreon.com slash rope podcast, and then message us a text or a sound file, as they prefer, of their story, and let us know if they want to be anonymous or if they want their name said with the story in case they win. That sounds great. Okay, let's get on with the show. So, Maya... Can I start by asking you, what is autism spectrum condition? Now, autism spectrum condition, autism spectrum disorder, is actually a group of conditions. So it's not one thing because it's a spectrum disorder, which means that people can manifest it differently. Um, it has a different kind of impact. And the reason we're doing this episode is because of a listener's mail. Now, the listener wants to remain anonymous, but they were particularly interested in how to more effectively tie people with Asperger's. And we thought that was a really interesting discussion, uh, but we widened it out to people with autism spectrum condition. Now, as we are not diagnosed with the condition, we went to our listeners and seven of our amazing listeners, seven, seven recorded sound bites of tips, challenges, pros and cons about doing rope with autism spectrum condition or autism spectrum disorder. And we're very interested in people adding to the comments and the discussion if they have more tips. 
And Maya, neither you nor I are medical professionals. We are not. And so nothing we're going to say on this podcast constitutes medical advice. It's just a discussion. It's a discussion to help people tie more effectively with people with autism spectrum condition. So how do we start? So let's go back to the definition. So it's a neurodiversity condition. Um, and focusing it on a neurodiversity condition rather than a disorder helps us to understand it better. So what is neurodiversity? It looks at the natural diversity in human thinking and experience with strengths, differences and weaknesses. So rather than seeing autism as a problem, it's just a different way of being. And the World Health Organization definition talks about it as characterized by some degree of difficulty with social interaction and communication. Other characteristics are atypical patterns of activities and behaviors, such as difficulty with transition from one activity to another, a focus on details and unusual reactions to sensations. And I think you can see, Fox, how broad the condition is there. How common is this condition? Worldwide, one in a hundred people have autism. So you're absolutely bound to meet some people who have the um, condition. And do you think that within BDSM or within ROPE, we might find more than the average? So that's certainly a theory. I don't have any evidence for that. But when we talked about it in our local groups, it did seem like a lot of people put their hand up and said, actually, I do have that. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is that people use different language to talk about this. Okay. So some people use person-first language. So what does they, that mean? They put the person first. So they say adults with autism. Okay. And some people prefer identity first. So claiming the identity of being autistic. And so they would say autistic adults. Okay, so already from the start, if I'm going to negotiate with someone who has this condition, I might fuck up because I'm using the wrong language without even realizing it. I think it's something where you can talk to the person about the kind of language they want to use. We're going to use today adults with autism. That's okay. going to be our approach. And that is mainly because I asked my sister, who has a condition, what she prefers. And she said person first language. So we're going to use that. But if you prefer identity first, just reshape the language for that. So it's a bit like pronouns. You mm -hmm. ask the person what they prefer and then you try to stick to that. Exactly. So with that introduction, we're going to hand over to seven of our listeners who have ASC, who've provided sound bites for us to use. We're going to play them all mm -hmm. and then see what themes we might be able to reflect on at the end. And thank you so much to all these listeners who contributed to this episode. I was very touched. And they are Veronica Scarlett, uh, she is a switch. Alice, she is also a rope switch. Dom, she is a rope bottom. Anne, she is also a rope bottom. Then we have Kinky Engineer, and he is a rope top. We have the goddess Indigo, who is a rope top, who has a BDSM partner on the autism spectrum. And we have Mistrix, and she is a rope top. So those are our people. Mostly they are adults with the autism condition. Okay, so we're going to listen to all seven of them at once. And then we'll come back and 
talk about what we heard and try to discuss. Oh, I'm an autistic kinkster who is a bunny and a rigger. I started off as a bunny. I was really drawn to rope. I loved the look of being constrained. I, to me, I felt, I just kind of knew it would feel like really nice. And it did. It feels like just being hugged. I love the sensation of it. It's definitely with autism, you sometimes if you play into sensations, um, it can be really comforting and it can feel really good. So the extra tightness feeling really does something for me as an autistic. So I get spacey from that. I, I like just the fact I have to stay in place and someone else is in control and I I don't have to think about anything and I can just stay still. I don't know, it just really speaks to me. And as a rigger, I really love all the technicality of it. I visualise my ties in advance. I'm a very visual thinker. Uh, I love the problem solving. I love that I can just lose myself in in tying someone I, I hyper focus in on when I'm rigging and that is really enjoyable for me and because I know as a bunny what the sensations are like I feel very comfortable topping someone and giving them the same sensations. I like to add sensation play when I do rope so I use like a pinwheel I have certain like floggers that feel really nice like some of them are really soft some of them are cold different sensations and I add that to my rope what it's like being neurospicy within rope there's a lot of positives there's a lot of negatives in my opinion and my own experiences one of the biggest positives I can I can really mention is the ability to learn really fast to pick up ties very quickly to sort of understand the mechanics of rope fairly easily another one is the the ability to sort of connect wholeheartedly with the person that you're tying and they you can feel what they're feeling and sort of understand their body language and how to sort of interpret it and move it and sort of you know really connect heart to heart and I think they're some wonderful benefits and they've helped me momentously within my journey however being neurodivergent within rope also comes with this sort of a lot of negative aspects i found that navigating the rope community as a whole to be incredibly difficult to be isolating to you know cause a lot of anxiety when it comes to you know understanding the politics and understanding you know the social normities I, I kind of wish that they would sort of, you know, you would rock up um, and they would sort of hand you a book to understand these things because I found that, in, at least in my way, being neurodivergent has caused a lot of inability to sort of understand social normities in and out of rope, just on a sort of day-to-day -day life basis. And adding rope into that just creates even more complications. Within classrooms and workshops and things, I found it to be somewhat of my experience is that teachers don't necessarily understand how to facilitate people who are neurodivergent as a rigger. There's 
somewhat of a lack of understanding and they judge you by sort of neurotypical aspects, um, assuming that you are and you process things like a neurotypical, which is certainly not the case in mine, or how to sort of provide understanding or a space for them to be who they are and to have the mind that they do. And as being a bunny, um, I found being neurodivergent to be a good aspect. I found it very easy to sort of connect into the rope and connect to my rigorous sort of energy and expectations in that way but also has made me a really good communicator because I'm very sort of I'm very direct. I found with the teachers and facilitators not being able to sort of understand being neurodivergent has caused a lot of issues from, you know, not being able to understand mistakes and not being able to sort of understand where the rigor comes from and being judged from that aspect is very sort of harsh and more morally damning. I think... My biggest challenge as an ethistic person in the rope space in general, particularly as a bunny, is going to public spaces. I understand that is part of, it is kind of the best avenue to learn, to grow, to connect, to to find community and to witness the beauty of it. But oftentimes these spaces are very overwhelming for me personally. It has a lot of sensory overload. Um, my worst trigger are usually audio level. So I have a very, very hard time giving into the rope and, and really relaxing if there are other people like making sounds, if the music uh, is a little bit too loud, if I can really distinctively hear a certain sound. And yeah, I wore earplugs, loops, whatever, but it's sometimes really, really, really hard. And as a consequence, it makes the whole experience, like the next experience after the hard session, like even more daunting to go back in and, and try again. And oftentimes is what keeps me away from the spaces that are kind of the gateway to such a cool community, which is a shame. I hope very hypersensitive sensory, not only with touching, but also sound and uh, light. So the first, uh, it will be much harder for us to find a play partner. And uh, we will need to be very specific about their smell, their voice. Of course, that's the first thing people can think of, but sometimes even their step, sometimes the way they touch, sometimes the way they touch in one specific situation. <laughs> I know there are some people who try to comfort me by just gently rubbing their thumb on my hands, and that actually <laughs> drives me nuts. Uh, that will be much more difficult for us. Not like super difficult, but yes, it will lower our percentage to all the group first to f be able to find a partner. And uh, if we can find someone who can play with us, then it will become very extremely special and very intimate and very like kind of touching uh, experience we say with another human. My list of what 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 will work for me and what will not, what to do and what to not, I will try to say with my partner and I also try to test drive 
as much as possible before the play. Like I try to smell them. I try to see how they touch. I also try to uh, see their ropes. I try it on my skin to know how I probably gonna feel. So it can have to avoid, you know, like disappointment if the play cannot go as expected. But I will not also take it too hard on myself if it didn't go as expected because sometimes things happen. That is for the sensory the first and the second is so people think it's difficult for us to touch and feel or sense things. But another thing is like most, or at least for me, I, I like the comp compression or uh, uh, weighted hug. Uh, it made me feel grounded and also like calm me down. And I, so when I play ropes or a suspension, it's actually easier for me to adapt with that. And I feel very relaxing and comforting. Another thing is because I often have to deal with uh, trigger and, and panic. So actually I have more experience and skill in dealing with that or like, and, and it also very useful in playing. Like for example, the breathing skill, uh, being alert, being aware of my body, my physical condition and status, explain it or describe it as clear as possible for my partner. So most of the people on the spectrum can be very direct and straight. And there is something we have to be aware, especially if you play as a bottom. Because sometimes if you give the feedback on your, say, uh, comment or whatever in a too direct way, it, it may sound like an order or judgment and people will not be take it easily. Uh, for me, at least personally, I find playing ropes very helpful for uh, like a therapy for anxiety. Because like now someone we, we take care or you just need to, to, to follow the protocol or the instruction. And, and, and you have a very clear structure so much less thing to worry about. I have problem with speaking and talking, like verbal communication. But also, like the the makeup for it is I really good at three uh, D vision, uh, visual. So understand the rope patterns is pretty easy for me, and sometimes I can help my 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 play partner to understand it or they learn it in a more effective way. Like uh, I once asked a play part or a rope top to like, try to draw the pattern by one line only. So they so can start to see how the rope goes. Hi, it's Kinky Engineer from Melbourne here. And I think this is a great topic that the rest of the kink world should delve into as well. I think that their kink scene has a high proportion of neurodivergent folks. And so I've come to realize that I'm one of them. Um, I'm not diagnosed, but I certainly have autistic traits and ADHD traits. And these can 
be really useful in some regards. Like they make me a lot more focused and creative than I suspect that I might otherwise be. But it also comes with some downsides of making negotiations sometimes a bit harder when indirect communication is being used by the other person. And my drive to seek sort of explicit and direct communication can sometimes result in people being uncomfortable because they're not used to communicating that way. It's also come up in terms of hyper-focus and fixation, particularly completion fixation when doing a rope scene when I was the top and being in a situation where my model gave me some feedback and I wasn't able to pass it at the time. Like I heard it, but it didn't quite make it through to um, an action and that came very close to non-consent at the time because I was focused on continuing and finishing the, um, the or perfecting the particular rope placement that we were doing uh, that they needed to get out and come down and it just took me that little bit extra time to recognize that that's what they needed and that I needed to stop so it was a really slightly scary and scary and humbling experience and I've certainly seen and recognized that in other people around and I think that valid thing that needs to be considered in negotiations like it's not that the person is being a bad person it's just at um, some points if focused on achieving a thing uh, it can be a bit hard to um, derail from that process i believe the best way for a bdsm bottom to work with a top who has autism is exactly the same way any BDSM bottom could work with the top, any top, and that is to have clear and effective communication, to make it precise. It isn't enough to say, I want to feel good. What does that mean? What does that look like? How can it happen? And what results does feeling good mean? Do you want your toes to curl? Do you want to be warm and relaxed? Understanding with some clarity what the end result needs to be for all parties relieves the capacity for disappointment. It manages expectations in the ways that are necessary to create the success that you want. So avoid mush words, be very clear, and negotiate negotiation, communication, and aftercare with a partner is going to be unique because each partner is unique. During negotiation, once again, make sure to be super clear about using concise and precise language. Don't be vague. I really enjoy this and this is why. <clears throat> it's much better than make me feel good. I found that working with individuals with autism, the more parameters that you set up, the greater the likelihood for success, and there's a better chance of relaxing and everyone actually enjoying what's going on. When it comes to negotiation, understanding any sensitivities, uh, any anything that might not be comfortable, even if it's something simple, repetitious touch, can be something that is absolutely not allowed for someone that's on the spectrum, no matter how light. Uh, caressing can be too much. 
um, sight, sound, all of those things can be processed a bit differently. Things being too loud or discordant music. So understanding all of that, or even music at all, search and sense, understanding that the sense of connection might not feel the same as well. It can be important to have an after-action review, after-play, so that one can discuss their perception of how the scene went. Because you may not feel as connected during, but it was actually there. Communication is incredibly important. And then aftercare needs to be negotiated very well. Someone might not want to be held or be capable of holding. They may not want um, that fuzzy blanket that's always worked before for someone else. All in all, everyone is unique. Every experience is unique. And coming in with an open mind, managing expectations, and realizing that the win doesn't have to look exactly the same, and it can still be an exceptional win, is important. Creating those special moments can happen, and it can be crafted well with willing individuals. I'm Mistrix. I'm a rope top in the UK, and I'm autistic and was diagnosed in childhood. My experience of entering the rope and by extension the kink community was overall really positive. I think that's down to the emphasis on explicit and literal language and nuanced negotiations. We also have a huge respect for like bodily autonomy. We highlight the importance of boundaries and limits consistently. I remember you know, in childhood and teens, even young adulthood, I was mocked and shunned by peers because I just couldn't interact with them in the same way that they were used to and I would miss uh, micro-expressions. But the rope community is completely opposite. We're so open to uh, a diverse range of people. We have neurodiverse-focused workshops and communication uh, workshops which all help to understand how to communicate better. As for tips for mixing rope with neurodiversity, I would say uh, make any new potential partner or playmate aware of your ASD and any adjustments that you might need and offer them a safe space to be able to ask any questions and raise any concerns and be open and honest with your answers. On a personal note, I would also advise to bring to the front any issues that you may have faced as a result of your ASD, any communication breakdowns in the past that you've had, and also what you learned from them so that you know nobody's perfect. But for those that do stim, just keep in mind that there is a repetitive motor action that happens in rope bondage and what's better than that. And there's also a wealth of information out there for anyone that needs a new hyper-focus topic. So Maya, what do you make of all of this? It sounds to me like neurodivergence brings both struggles and benefits for those who do rope as tops and as bottoms. I looked at the World Health Organization's areas of challenge for those on the autism spectrum and there were four areas and they felt like they showed up in the rope community. So I thought we could talk about them first and then maybe you could share some of your experience being a rope top who has played with uh, people on the spectrum yourself. Of course. So what are those four areas, Maya? So the first one seems to me around social interaction. So when we listen to those different clips, 
rope community norms, politics, standards, this kind of stuff is, is hidden. It's not on the surface. And it seems to me difficult for those who are um, ASC to actually find that. So the culture needs to be explained to people. And I don't think we do that enough at the moment. There's also something around social interaction where teachers and space owners don't always understand what people who are neurospicy might need. So there's something around us understanding that better. I saw a jam the other day, which was specifically for people who are neurodivergent, and it was a quiet space, a clean space. So no music. No music, like talking low, low lights. It was really designed around those needs. Sounds amazing. I want to go. Yeah. Yeah, it was in uh, America somewhere. I don't remember which space it was. And of course, one of the challenges is, do you have enough people in your community who would want to come to that in order for you to put it on? And the answer for many is no. So there's a challenge meeting both the needs of neurodivergent people and those who aren't. Hmm. So then the next one seems to be about communication. The pros is that the community of neurodivergent people are saying they are very clear communicators. The cons are they can be a bit blunt. What do you think? Uh, personally, I love it. I am a person who has very little patience for ambiguity and who is quite bad at dealing with nuance. So someone who is direct and says things straight is like a dream for me. Mm. So definitely pros and cons there. Whereas for me, sometimes because I'm British probably and we speak in a more roundabout way, which I know can drive you crazy. A little bit, but I'm doing my best. Then this can be a bit more feel aggressive sometimes so me remembering that it's not aggressive it's just a style of talking is a useful thing the next area that the world health organization identifies is atypical patterns of activities and behaviors and what does that mean it means doing things differently from other people. So it's a bit of a big, vague area. But I was thinking maybe the fact that people are able to learn rope patterns and the mechanics of rope very quickly. So okay. that spatial awareness might be something there. And also the hyper-focus. And what does hyper-focus mean in the context of rope? It means focusing on the activity you're doing, which would be tying, probably, uh, to the exclusion of all else. And as Kinky Engineers' quite vulnerable sharing showed, sometimes that hyper-focus might mean you miss other signs and signals in your environment. Sort of like tunnel vision then. Tunnel vision, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And then there's sensations. So sensations has pros and cons as well. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you can really play into it. There's lots of opportunity there playing into the type of sensation that is pleasant for someone who is neurodivergent. Yeah. But as we talked about in terms of the rope jams, you might have to block out light, noise, that sensory overload. And I think you discovered that when you played with someone. Uh, yeah, I, d I did play uh, with a partner with Asperger and we used noise cancelling headphones and she uh, gave me the test drive, as Anne was saying in her uh, testimony, like she gave me a good sniff to see if my uh, scent was uh, something that wasn't going to trigger her and mm. so on. Uh, and I quite like it, actually, having that special care for someone. And as someone who identifies primarily as a service top, this idea of tailoring a scene and an environment to what's going to be nice for a person is a very pleasant one for me. 
And what other learnings or experiences did you have as a rope top with people with ASC? I would say my main learning, which is not one I think we've talked about so far, is that people with ASC can bring me incredible joy when I play with them. Because if, despite all the things we talked about, you manage to connect with them, that connection is very strong and very authentic and very intimate. And this is exactly what I want to get out of rope bondage. The last thing we wanted to remind everyone is that individual differences are bigger than group differences. So, so much. Yeah. Always. <laughs> so every person is an individual who needs to be treated as such with their own unique needs. And in fact, that statement is so important that could we explain it in layman's terms? What does that mean? Individual differences are bigger than group differences. Well, we could do it for us. So the difference between Fox and Maya is bigger than the difference between men and women or rope okay. tops and rope bottoms. So think about the person as an individual rather than as a group. I'm not just woman. I am Maya. Yes, you are. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much again to our listeners who shared some thoughts in a voice message. That was amazing. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your honesty. And if any of you have experiences either being on the spectrum yourself or playing with people who are on the spectrum, please come contribute to this conversation uh, in the comments on Instagram or on FetLife. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying. <laughs>